If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila and a native, a native of Pontus, recently come from, the, from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. As he went to see them, and because and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue with every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews uh, that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he was shook. Out, he, uh, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but I go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Good morning, church. How you doing? You look good. Thank you, Alyssa, and thank you, Maria, for sharing. Uh, Maria not only shared, she read the scripture in the nine, and she looked after all the kids in this 11 a.m. service. Can you believe that? Let's give it a hand for Maria. I told her in the nine, I was like, dang, girl, if you want to preach, too, you can. Just get up here. So, well, hey, a few weeks back, I was at the park, Tower Grove Park, with a friend of mine, and uh, we were chatting it up, and you know me, I can be chatty Kathy sometimes, and as we're talking we realized that his son, his three-year-old son, is nowhere to be found. And we kind of had a panic attack. We, we did what you just did. Oh, gosh. And he's three years old, Tower Grove Park. A lot of people, you know, as a parent, you start, your mind starts going all those places. You know, what happened to him? Maybe did he run in front of the street? Did he hit by a car? Did, there's a lot of people here. Did he get picked up? You know, people do crazy things to kids. And uh, we just, we kind of went into panic mode. And of course, we dropped the conversation, Right? I mean, nothing is important anymore except for finding his son. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. It doesn't matter what my problems are. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what's on my mind. It doesn't matter finishing that conversation. What matters is getting his son, right? And I mean, just so you know, you can rest assured we got his son. It's like 30 seconds later, we found him just running through the woods, you know, as boys do. But as I was thinking about that story, and I was thinking about this passage that we're in this morning, thinking about how the Apostle Paul is going from Athens to Corinth, city to city, person to person, trying to get as many people who are far, as far from God as they are to come back to faith in Jesus Christ. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about that story, and I was thinking, man, God is like my friend. He's a father. And he's got six, seven billion people across the earth, at least four of which, probably more, are lost and far from him wandering around the earth. They don't know their father. They don't know their right hand from their left. And he is on a mission, a passionate mission to get his kids back. I mean, he gave his son, Jesus gave his life, and he has called us to join him in this mission. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, if God is like that father, he's actually a better father. He says, us earthly fathers, even the ones who love our kids and give our kids good gifts, compared to God, we're like evil because his love is so great. 
And if God's love is that great for his kids and he has that many kids, when we come to God and we're just so self-centered and we're like, God, my work, my finances, my, even my marriage, my, all these things that I need your help with, he cares, he does. He really cares. He wants to get involved in all that. He wants to help us. But I think that God is also probably in heaven going, come on, focus. My kids are lost. I care about that stuff, but it's all secondary to this thing that my kids, my kids are lost. Please help me find my kids. And I just, I've been gripped reading this passage of Paul and just gripped at, at my lack of focusing on what God cares about most. And so I don't want to bring that as a heavy, oh man, I don't focus enough on God, what God cares, you know. No, no, not here to condemn us, but here to lead us into what God has for us, which is to give our lives to seeing those who are far from God come back to faith in Jesus Christ, to come to know the love of Father God who sent his son for them. Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a series of three parables. Every parable, there are found things and there are lost things. And Jesus makes it crystal clear every single time without a shadow of a doubt that he will leave that which is found to go and get that which is lost. Even with a 99% success rate, he says, there's, there's 99 sheep who are in the fold. I've got them, they're with me, but I'm gonna leave the 99. I'm gonna leave them behind. I'm gonna leave them right where they're at and I'm gonna go and get the one. I'm gonna put that sheep onto my back and I'm gonna carry it back to the fold. Even with a 99% success rate, Jesus says, I'm leaving the 99. It's not enough, I want the one. And you know that when you, when you lose something that's important, I mean, if I lose my son, I'm not like, it's okay, I got my daughter. No, I'm not gonna do that. If I lose my phone, I'm not like, oh, it's all good. I mean, it's fun, but you know, I got a nice couch. No, if I lose my phone, I'm like, man, get my phone. Where's my phone at? Calling it, doing iPhone, boop, you know, the, the screamy thing. When you lose something that's of value to you, it doesn't matter what you have. You want that thing back, especially your kids. You know this if you're a parent. And Paul gets this, which is why he's going city to city, person to person with a great passion, giving his life to help people who are far from God come back to faith in Jesus Christ. Corinth was one of Athens' rivals. The capital, it's the capital of Achaia. It's long since, been it's long since surpassed Athens in its uh, political and economic scale, and it's known for its immorality. And when Paul arrives in Corinth, he does the same thing that he did in Athens and in every other city. He goes into the synagogue preaching, trying to reason with some that they would come to faith in Christ. And he goes person to person to find as many as he can. Acts chapter 18, verse two tells us that he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. So Aquila and Priscilla, and they're in Corinth because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So they're Jewish exiles. And Paul finds them, which found implies that he's searching for something. And so he finds them. Paul is always on the hunt for someone who's friendly to the gospel. He's always on the hunt for someone who he can bring the gospel to so that they can be a relational gate to an entire community. And so he finds Aquila and Priscilla and probably leads them to faith in Christ. We see later on that, that they as a couple are partnering together in ministry to help another believer to get their theology straight. And so they're definitely Christians by the, by the time we hit that point. And it says that he went to see them. Paul gets close to them. He gets time with them. And because he was of the same trade, he went with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. I love this. I love that, that Paul worked. He was a tent maker by trade. He's, he's a man that works with his hands. Probably one of the greatest missionaries that's ever lived. A busy dude. 
going city to city, telling people about Jesus, spending all the time that he can in the marketplace, in the synagogue, telling people about Jesus. And yet, he works so that, he can't, so that he's not a burden to the church. If needed, he gets his hands dirty and he works making tents. He's happy to go in and out of full-time ministry. And by the way, I hate that little phrase that, oh, you're in the ministry. It's like, no, we're all in the ministry. The Bible tells me that we are ministers of a new covenant, every single believer, that we've been reconciled and we're ministers of reconciliation. It's 2 Corinthians chapter five. So if you're in Christ, I don't care if you're a janitor, a school teacher, or a CEO, if you're in Christ, you're a minister. And some people just get to spend more time focusing on building the church. Some people spend more time out there in the world using their job to advance the kingdom of God. We all have a role, but we're all in the ministry. Side point. So Paul, sometimes he works with his hands and sometimes he's full-time building the church. And you know, we have uh, elders in this church who serve both, you know, some that are paid by the church, about half, and some that volunteer their time as elders, overseers of this church. And one of them, Greg Nelson, he was up here hosting the service earlier. Greg, he's got a wife, three kids. Sylvia serves her tail off in the nursery. Loving kids, Can't, I was almost not a Sunday. I don't see her back there, just holding babies, loving babies, serving. I'm like, come on, we gotta get you in the service. But she just, her heart is for it. She wants to make sure you can be in here, that we can be in here. Greg, orthopedic surgeon, I can't imagine how busy, how stressful that is. And then spends, after family and work, spends all of his free time serving this church. I can't tell you how many meetings he's in that you don't know about, thinking about how do we lead this church better? How do we pastor people better? How many conversations he's in where he's pastoring and caring for individual people, not just the high level stuff, but down on the ground, really loving and bleeding for people. And I've sat with him as he's cried, just thinking about God's heart for the people of this church. Larry Mowry worked in insurance and volunteered as an elder, just like Greg does now. Him and Vicky retired. They have not spent their retirement sipping pina coladas on the beach. They've spent their retirement putting up with you. I mean, really putting up with me. That's probably the hard, that's the harder one. They give themselves every prayer meeting, every pastoral conversation. Can't tell you how many times Larry comes to me and he's like, hey man, you don't even have to worry about that. I'll take care of it. Taking on burden after burden after burden, practical and pastoral, to ensure that you're loved, that you're cared for, that you're led well. I'm just telling you, these guys bleed for you. And I truly feel as though I just serve among giants in the faith. And I hope that you feel that too. Like, I hope that you see how God has blessed this. It's a sign of God's blessing on a church that there are good leaders. And it's, it's not just those guys. I mean, there's multiple people who are like volunteer staff, 10 plus hours a week, just giving themselves to, to make sure, community group leaders, to make sure you're cared for and loved, serving team leaders, to make sure you're cared for and loved, to make sure that every Sunday when you pull up, whether you're, is this is your first time or whether it's your 101st time, that every Sunday when you pull up, there are people, there are smiling faces there to love you and welcome you, to make you feel like you're getting a hug, even though they know if they gave you a hug, it'd be really awkward. So they just do it with their face making sure there's warm coffee, making sure there's someone to love your kids and teach your kids about Jesus, making sure that the, that the slides and the sound and the, and the video, it's all on point to make sure we can do what we do. Ushers make sure there's seats for you. They put them out and they straighten them up and it makes me happy when they're straight. I like that, the tidiness in me. I'm just saying that people have given themselves and they don't do it because they have to. 
They do it because God has done something in their lives to where they, they, they couldn't stand to just sit here and be a consumer. They have to pour their life out as a drink offering. That's what happens when God grips your heart. You wanna give yourself away in love. And I'm just, I'm so, the reason I'm pausing here is because I'm just so honored to be a part of a church that does that. And I wanna say thank you to so many of you who do that. We set aside this month to remind ourselves so that we don't forget, but really every single week, we're so grateful, so grateful. It takes every person to be an Acts church, not just a laborer here or there. Jesus looked on the crowds in Luke chapter 10, verse two, and he said, the harvest is plentiful. He said, there's not a harvest problem. There's plenty of people out there who, who are far from God, who are hurting, who are broken, who need healing, who need to know God's love, who need to be brought back to their father in heaven. There are plenty of people. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus says, but the laborers are few. There's not enough people who will roll up their sleeve and get their hands dirty to love and serve and bring people back who are far from God. Which is why Paul just gives himself nonstop to this work. I mean, even when Silas and Timothy arrived, it's almost as though Paul's like, hey, good to see you, but you know, I gotta get on with it. it says he's occupied with the word. Occupied, it's a, the Greek word, synechomai. It's the same word for keeping watch in Luke chapter 22. It's work that requires intense focus and commitment. It's the same kind of focus you have after you've been staying up all night writing your final essay. You've been writing this thing for eight hours. You're on your last paragraph. And somebody walks in and you're like, hey, what do you want to do for dinner? You're like, no, no, this thing's almost done. <laughs> somebody finish it and I'll talk. That's the kind of focus that Paul has with preaching the gospel. He loves relationships. He's always partnering in ministry, but he won't let himself get sidetracked from bringing the gospel to people who are far from God. What was Paul's message to the Jews? Well, simply that the Christ was Jesus. The Christ Messiah, it's the promised Messiah. You know, our scriptures, the Christian scriptures, the first two thirds of this is the Old Testament. It's actually the, the Jewish scriptures. And so the Jewish scriptures have 330 prophetic promises about what this Messiah will be like. God had promised his people 330 times. I'm sending one who will save you, who will forgive you, who will heal you, who will lead you who'll be your king, but not a, not, a, uh, not a dictator who will rule over you with a heavy hand, but a benevolent king who will be generous to you and his steadfast love will endure forever and, and the kindness of the Lord will lead you to repentance. The kindness of the Lord will lead you to turn back to him. And, and, and the Jews, they had, they had 330 prophetic promises about who this Messiah would be. And Paul, he just every time he enters a city, he goes into the synagogue and he gathers up as many Jews as he can. And he says, guys, Jesus is the Messiah. Every single prophetic promise about the Messiah, Jesus fulfilled. 330 prophetic promises about the Messiah. In his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, he fulfilled every single one of them. Paul says, the Christ is Jesus. The Christ is Jesus. But not everyone liked Paul's message. Some believed but some opposed and reviled Paul. And if you and I are faithful to leverage our lives to tell our story and the story of Jesus to people who are far from God, if we're faithful with that, some will oppose and even revile us. And we just need to let that sink in. We need to be aware of that. That being a Christian doesn't mean everyone likes us. It doesn't mean that, that we're just the life of the party everywhere we go. What it does mean is we should be full of joy full of life, that, that, that we should never be opposed because of our life. 
Our life should be so beautiful, so full of love, so full of servitude, so generous and kind that people look on our life and say, they say, man, I don't know what you have, but whatever it is, I want it. There's something about you that I just can't shake. And whatever it is, I got to get in on it. Our life should cause people to validate the message of Christ. And yet, if we preach the message of Christ, which is a very offensive message, by the way, because the message of Jesus Christ doesn't just say, oh, God loves you and he wants you. It does say that, but it also says you're a terrible leader of your life. Matter of fact, the reason Jesus had to die on the cross is because your sins are so awful that, that our sins, that our rebellion to turn our lives and our hearts away from the almighty loving God was so gross and so wicked and so evil that he had to send his son and kill his son upon a cross. And the only way you can receive the forgiveness and the life, the healing, and the love that he has for you is by humbling yourself to say that he is Lord and that he is Savior, that you desperately need him because you're dead in your sins and you are hopeless and you are helpless without his mercy. That's the gospel. That's offensive. That is very, that comes against every piece of pride within a person. And the only way to receive it is to humble ourselves and say, God, show me mercy. I'm a sinner. Give me grace. And so some oppose and revile Paul. And Paul's response to them may not be what you expect. Actually, it shocks me every time I read it. Acts 18.6, he shook out his garments, kicked that dirt off his shoulder, and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles or the non-Jews. Your blood be on your own heads. Seems a little harsh to me. I don't know how you feel about that. This seems a little harsh to me. Your blood's on your own heads. You're going to pay for your sins. But to understand this, we have to go back to Ezekiel chapter 33, because Ezekiel chapter 33, cities had watchmen. A watchman was the, the one who stood up on the tallest tower, and they looked 24-7 to make sure if an enemy army was coming to destroy the city, that the city would be alarmed in time to either fight back or flee for safety. And so the watchman's job was to watch 24-7. That's their job. They went in shifts, I'm sure. And God, in Ezekiel 33, he says, to the watchman, I say. He says, if enemy armies come and you sound the trumpet and people don't flee, they don't get ready, they don't respond. They just act like it's not a big deal and then they get destroyed, their blood is on their hands. You did your part. You sounded the trumpet. You sent the warning. You did all that you could. But if the enemy armies come and you fell asleep at your post, or you were just lazy, or you, maybe you were just like, mm, somebody said something to me, I'm not going to tell. I'm not even going to warn them. Just let them get what they get. God says, if that happens and the enemies come and they destroy these people, their blood is on your hands. And so when Paul says, I'm innocent, your blood's on your hands, he says, look, I've warned you. I've sounded the trumpet. I've told you Jesus is the Christ. I've prayed for you. I've pleaded for you. And you're not responding. I got to move on. There's people who are far from God that haven't heard yet. I got to keep going. 
I got to keep going. I got to move on. What he's also implying is if he hadn't told them, if he haven't, hadn't prayed for them and pleaded with them, their blood is on his hands. Friends, we got to hear this. There is a sobering responsibility that we should feel as God's watchmen and watchwomen that he has called us to sound the trumpet. That's what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. We go place to place to place, person to person to person, and proclaim the message that the king has come, that Jesus has died, that the only way to God's mercy is through Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility. But once we've done that, we've prayed for someone, we've pleaded with them, there is a time if they don't respond, their heart is hard towards God, where we continue to pray, but we do move on. Because there are more people and more places that have not yet heard. And Jesus said, we won't get them all until he comes back. We need to hear this. There is a time to move on. Don't move on if you haven't told them yet, because it's not your Christian presence that leads somebody to Jesus. No, no, it's the good news of Jesus, the message that brings them to faith in him. Make sure you tell them the message before you move on. Paul does this in Corinth. It says he left there. He went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. He starts with Titius Justice, the house right next to the synagogue, because he's a worshiper of God. Now, what we don't know is that phrase, worshiper of God, does that mean that he's already a believer? And that's why Paul finds refuge in his house. Or does that mean that he's a Jewish man who's open to what Paul has to say? We don't know. But either way, we know this. Paul was on a mission and everywhere he could, he was looking for that person who was friendly to the gospel. And then he would come to that person, share Christ with them. And through them, they would be a relational door to the community. And look what happens. Because Paul had the boldness and the courage to move on from those who were opposing, God did an incredible work. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Crispus becomes a Christian. His household becomes a Christian. Many Corinthians become, a Christ, become Christians. God moves in a mighty way through Paul's message because he was willing to move on. Secondly, notice this. Notice that the immediate response after they believed. They were believed and they were baptized. Baptism is a huge deal. Everywhere you follow in the New Testament, when someone becomes a Christian, the immediate response is they get baptized. Why? Well, because baptism is identifying with Jesus. When you, when you go down into the water, you're saying, I have died with Christ. And when you come up out of the water, you're saying, and I've been risen with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what you say when you get baptized. Now, now baptism, it's an outward expression of an internal reality of the heart. So baptism doesn't save you. Remember, faith in Jesus saves you, but belief in his name saves you. Confession of your sins and receiving his mercy, that's when your heart is changed. Baptism is when you publicly declare that that has happened. And so baptism is putting on the team jersey, saying, I'm with him now, and I want everyone to know, which is why when you get baptized, you should tell everyone, you should invite everyone you know. It's why we produce a video for you when you get baptized, so you can send that out to everyone you know. And as a reminder of what Christ has done in you, baptism, think of it like a wedding. I married my wife, Rebecca. When we exchanged our vows, that's when we entered into the covenant of marriage, a covenant that should never be broken. After we exchanged our vows, I put this ring on. The ring doesn't make me married. I can take it off. Still married. But she likes it when I have it on. 
You know what I'm saying? Because it lets everybody know. And it reminds me, oh yeah, I'm with her. It's helpful. I'm a little dull sometimes. And check this out. The Lord said to Paul one night in the vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Paul, the great apostle Paul, Bible hero, he's scared. He's scared. Oh, little Paul, it's okay, Jesus said. I'm here, buddy. He's so scared. And you know, I would be too. I get scared sharing my faith at Starbucks because I don't want the barista to spit in my cup. All right, he could lose his life. Uh, yeah, I understand why he's scared. And Jesus comes to him and he says to him, Paul, don't stop speaking. Paul, this is what I'm most passionate about. Paul, I would give up everything for these people to know me. Paul, I'll leave the 99 and go get the one. Remember, Paul, this is what the heart of the father is this. Keep speaking, Paul. And Paul, you know what? He said, best five words in the whole Bible. For I am with you. He says to Paul, I'm with you, Paul. I got your back, buddy. I'm, I'm with you every step of the way. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that when we believe in Christ, Jesus sends his spirit to dwell within us, that the spirit of God comes to live within every person who calls on his name. So the spirit of God himself, who raised Jesus up from the dead, who gave Jesus boldness to speak and gave Jesus power to heal, that spirit lives in you and you and you and you, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. That's where Paul gets his boldness from. What's the purpose of him being with us and in us? Well, Jesus says, for I'm with you. No one will attack you to harm you. For, this is why, this is why I put him in you. For I have many in this city who are my people. That's a word we need to hear, church. God has many people that are already his. He has, he has, he has plans prepared for them before the foundation of the world. He has chosen them in him and they just don't know him yet. They're his and they, they have no clue who he is. They don't even know their right hand from their left. How do we find him? Well, we go and we tell them. And when we tell them, some will oppose and revile us, but some will believe and God's children will be brought back to him. The, the joy of my friend in the park times a million times four billion. That's the joy that the father feels. As Jesus said in Luke 15, seven, just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Yeah, I think Jesus likes our services on Sunday. I think he likes our community groups, but he loves, he loves when we have the joy of leading someone across that line of faith. His heart explodes with joy that one of his children has come back to faith in him. Church, this must sink into our heads and our hearts that this is why we exist, to help those who are far from God come to faith in Jesus Christ and be brought back to the great Father in heaven. As we say in our mission state, Jubilee Church is a community together on a mission to help all people know God. This is what it's all about. We're gonna build our Sunday services around this. We're gonna build groups around this. We're gonna build our lives around this because this is what the Father sent his son for. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. Even better, every time we open our mouths, doesn't matter how awkward you are, how much you stumble through it, every time we open our mouths, we win. Every time we speak the name of Jesus and tell an individual what he's done in our lives and what he's done for them, we win. 
because the gospel is going out and God's power is at work in their life. And, and, and he will awaken those who are called by him to receive. We don't know who will receive and who will revile. We don't know. But we know that some will receive if we speak. And just to make this sink in a bit, I just want you to imagine with me your next family gathering or the next time you get your friends together, Thanksgiving or Christmas, or if you don't see your family much, 10 years from now, you know, but the next time your, your people are together, I want you to imagine that God said to you before you went to that, Dylan, I'm gonna save one of them. If you'll just speak, I'll save one of them. And you didn't know which one, but you had this promise from God that you knew that you knew that you knew that one friend or one family member would come to faith in Jesus. If you just, when you're with them, you just told them. Let me ask you, would you tell them? I think you would. If you knew you were guaranteed success, well, that's what Paul, that's what God does for Paul. And I think that's what God wants to do for us this morning. I, I really believe with all my heart that God wants to do in us. He wants to put in us this morning a faith that there are family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors who are far from God that he will save if we tell. I believe that with all my heart. It's not just a trite thing in a sermon. I believe that. There are friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors, that if we tell them, they will believe. There are some that if we tell them, we might lose our job. We might get a bad name in the neighborhood. We may lose that friend or that family. It may happen. But there, will, there are some who will believe. We don't know who, but that should give us great boldness to speak. So what did he do? Well, he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. First of all, he was among him. That's big. He's a tent maker. He worked hard. He made his presence felt in the community. He was present with the people. Secondly, he taught the word of God among them. We have this little acronym as a church to help us remember the blessing rhythms that God has called us to, that God has called us to receive a blessing from him so that we might be a blessing to the world, that, that we're not meant to just be a cul-de-sac of God's love, just drinking it all for ourselves. We're actually meant to be a river of God's blessing to the world. So we've got this corny little acronym, so just hang with me, called BLESS, and I just wanna walk you through it to remind us this is, what, this is what God has called us to. He's called us to begin with prayer. And if you haven't started this yet, please, 10 to 12 names of people you know who are far from God, write them down, tuck it in your Bible. I've got mine right here. It's, I got 10 papers in here, but it's one of them. I've got mine in there. Begin with prayer. And every day, just pray. God, would you move in their lives? God, would you show them your love? God, would you bless them? God, would you draw them close to Jesus? Just begin praying for them every day. The second one is listen. If you study the life of Paul, you'll see that he tried to experience things through the lens or the eyes of the people he was speaking with. You see the same thing with Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says that when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw them and he had compassion. The key to compassion is seeing. Oftentimes the key to seeing is listening. We've got to open our ears. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, you know? Should use it. Should use them. When we listen and we engage and we genuinely care, oftentimes people will tell us where they're hurting, where they're broken. They'll tell us exactly where God needs to speak into their lives. The third one is eat. And just to be quite frank, the reason a lot of us have lost our compassion or our passion for those who are far from God is that we're not spending much time with them. It's hard to love someone when you're never around them. And this often just comes down to the schedule, just prioritizing this above the rest of things in life, because life's busy, right? 
I'm just busy. I feel that. It's a priority. We do what matters to us. So I want to encourage us to schedule a meal with a coworker this week. Schedule a pancake breakfast for your neighborhood. Just fight all the neighbors over. Have Thanksgiving at your house this year. Whatever you got to do, get around people who are far from God. Eat meals with them. Meals bring barriers down. It helps us see this is a human being I'm sitting across from. We can connect and then share Christ with them. The third is the fourth is serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life away as a ransom for many. So Jesus came not to consume, not, oh, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me. No, no, he came into a relationship saying, I want to serve you. I want to bless you. I want to love you. I want to give myself to you. Actually, my whole life I'm just going to give to you. Do we enter into relationships with that posture? Or do we enter into get? One practical application, just think to yourself real quick, who can I serve this week? Neighbor, coworker, family member, who can I serve? Put it in the calendar, just do it. Just do it, it could be real simple, but just create that posture, that habit. I'm giving my life away for others. It's not all about me. The fifth one, probably the one that puts the frog in our throat. Oh God, don't make me do that, I'll do anything. I'll do the other four all day, don't make me do that one. Share your story and the story of Jesus with those who are far from God. We make such a big deal of this. All it is, just, just start. Just get the conversation. Just get the name Jesus. Jesus. Just get it out of your mouth. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Jesus. And just get it out of your mouth, all right? Because a lot of times that's the hardest thing, just bringing up his name. For me, I just like to start with my story. So a lot of times in conversation, bring it up a million different ways. A lot of times I'll just say, you know, man, I feel you. Tell you what, back in 2008, I just began to think to myself, there has to be more to life than this. I'm just living and going to school and pursuing all this stuff, parties, relationships. None of it's all just, just feels so empty, you know? You know what I'm saying? And I just started to think there has to be more. I just laid my head on my pillow at night just thinking, gosh, there has to be more. I just felt this deep void within myself. And you know, it was in that place that God met me. And God revealed his love to me. God showed me that actually I was created for him. And actually, he loved me so much, he gave his son to die for me, that I might have a new life, a new hope, a new purpose in him. I tell you what, ever since I met Jesus, I've had more joy, more peace, more life than I ever did before. Nothing compares to knowing him. Just slip it in. Share your story and the story of Jesus. Let me tell you that the power of our story and the story of Jesus, we'll never know. There'll be more. If we give our lives to this, even if you never see someone come to faith in his name in this life, I promise you, when you enter into heaven's gates, we will meet people that we didn't even know the impact we had if we do these things. Share our story and the story of Jesus. A few tips. Uh, don't tell people what they need to do. Just tell them what God did in your life. You know, he never asked us to be prosecutor, judge, or jury. He said, be witness. A witness just tells your side of the story. So don't say, oh, your life's all messed up. You need to quit sinning. Don't, don't go there. Just say, God changed my life. Jesus transformed me. I want you to know about it. I want you to have it. Also, after you share your story, give a personal invitation. We've got a series coming up here in a few weeks. It's been an amazing series to bring friends to. And here's my promise to you. We're gonna treat them with respect. We're gonna shower them with love. Not too much, remember? Make it feel like a hug, but don't give a hug. All right? We're gonna shower them with love. And there's gonna be no pressure no pressure, but we will tell them the love of God in Christ. I can assure you of that. I believe with all my heart, friends, that 
together this year, we can reach more people than we ever have before. I really believe that. I believe that this can be a year in your life where you see more people come to faith in Jesus Christ than you ever have before. For you, it may be the first time. And I believe that we as a community can experience more people coming to know that great love than we ever have. I believe this with all my heart. I'm not just saying it to you, I believe it. And I wanna ask you today to ask God to give you faith that you might believe it too. Because if we just start with this, just begin with prayer. He will do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Okay? Will you stand with me?